Welcome to the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast. Today, Tom Cowan examines the traits of a healthy and thriving church. After listening, we'd appreciate it if you took a moment to rate and review the podcast. Your response helps others discover the life-giving truth of the gospel. And now, here's today's message. Today's scripture reading is from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Please turn to Acts chapter 2 in your Bibles or follow along in the sermon notes handout or the words on the screen. Please rise for the reading of God's word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had all things in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you. It's nice to be back at Central for this um, period of time as you search for a new lead pastor. I want to thank the board and also you as a congregation for your trust in me to open God's word uh, over these months. I do not take that lightly nor casually. For those of you who remember, for those who are wondering, I was born in Glasgow in Scotland. I'm a Glaswegian. That's the word used for that. There are fragments of that accent still left. You'll hear them now and again. I have tried to sound like Sean Connery, but that didn't work. So on this opening morning, I'd like to really just share something of my heart with you for the church. I've been a pastor for 54 years, and I still carry a deep love in my heart for the church. Then a couple of weeks from now, we move into a challenging fall series on the Ten Commandments called Fire on the Mountain. About 18 years ago, Harriet and I were at an interview where I was being invited to be the new lead pastor of a large Baptist church in Vancouver. We went to a Saturday morning board meeting and they said to me, Dr. Cowan, would you tell us your ideas and strategies for church growth here? I paused for a minute, said, actually, I don't believe in church growth. Uh, I don't believe that we can make churches grow. Harry said to me later, she thought to herself, well, I guess we should just go back to the hotel and pack our suitcases. But you see, church growth is the wrong question. Church health is the really important question. Big difference. In Acts chapter 2, which we just read to us, it says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. But we, what we are responsible for, I really believe, is church health. We are responsible to create a culture, the soil, the environment, the relationships that create and breathe church health into which God brings church growth. And the reason for the priority of church health is very simple, but very critical. 
Think to yourself, why would God put new baby Christians into an environment which was toxic? Where there's politics and where there's anger and where there's gossip. He desires his church to be a spiritual nursery, which is clean, which healthy relationships, and in which really there's a, a strong nurturing community. And don't misunderstand me for this opening morning. I really believe Central is a healthy church. I've known about you for a long time. We've lived in Victoria since 1981. But it just can always be healthier. A healthy church consists of a, a number of things. I made a quick list several weeks ago thinking about this morning, and I came out very easily with 10. Let me pick four out this morning. It's natural for us to desire these things because God has written them into our heart, into our nature, into our very being as the church. These really this morning are just headings. So much more could be said and must be said about each one. But here's four. A healthy church is devoted to worship that inspires us to love God. We are called, folks, above everything else to live worshipfully and to be worshipers. Before anything else, we're called to be worshipers. That's what the Shema, Shema is the Hebrew verb, to hear. We come to it in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, Shema, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And we will love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind and strength. You remember that Jesus called us the first and the greatest commandment. But worship is not something that we have to initiate. God has always made the first move. He's made it in creation. He's made it in sending Christ. He's made it in giving us his word. And worship for us is actually how we respond to the creative, loving work of God. God moves and we respond. That's worship. And so we don't have to make worship happen. That can be manipulative. Rather, we just look and see what God has done. And then how do we respond to that? Psalm 95, which in the Anglican prayer book is called the Venite, a Latin word coming from the first words, Come! Let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us come before him with thanksgiving. Let him, let's extol him with music and with songs. There's times as individuals and as churches, we, we just get caught up in the, in the reverence of a hymn like, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. I was raised on hymns a long time ago. I love the theology that comes from Charles Wesley. And can it be that I should gain an interest in our Savior's blood? The devotion that you find from the pen of Isaac Watts. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. And do you remember the last lines of that hymn? I can hardly sing them some mornings. Love Remember it? So amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And I also enjoy the energy and the drive that comes from the many new worship songs from groups like City of Light in Australia. Now, I've been a pastor a long time. I am well aware 
that worship and music has always been a source of tension in many churches. Churches have always been struggling here. Do you know that Silent Night was once called vulgar mischief? And the Messiah, even the Hallelujah Chorus, was condemned for being too repetitive. In the 17th century, churches didn't sing hymns, they sung psalms. And so there were, that was foreign to evangelical worship. And one day a Baptist pastor in England called Benjamin Keach was condemned for using hymns in his service. And the first time he used hymns in his worship service, 22 of the members stood up and walked out. And they left the church to go join the non-spiritual, non-singing hymn down the road. Sometimes you just can't win. But worship's not about what we sing. Not only about what we do in this hour and a bit in the church service. Worship, you see, is to encompass all of life. It's about how we go about our day, how we live. Because God has implanted within us the need and the desire to worship him and to live worshipfully. It means living with thankfulness. The Greek word for that is Eucharist. You'll come across that next Sunday morning in communion, which is Eucharist, one of the four words used to describe the Lord's table. Jesus says we have to worship God in spirit and in truth. So worship must start from the heart as it reaches towards God. Worship's also physical. You read the Psalms and you read again and again that we're told to clap our hands, come and bow our knee, to lift our hands and our eyes to the Lord. Don't be afraid to do that. Sometimes we may kneel. Psalm 95 invites us, come let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker, for he is our God. We are the people of his pasture. We are the flock under his care. And worship's not about what you like or what I like or how we feel that day. Worship is about who God is. And worship is how we respond to him. So that's what moved Archbishop Temple to give us what I think is the best definition of worship. He says, to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination with the beauty of, of God, to open the heart to the love of God, and to devote the will to the purpose of God. Before anything else, we're called to be worshipers. We can see a lot more. We must move on. A healthy church is devoted to teaching that nurtures its people towards maturity. The purpose of the church is clear and simple. It's about transformation. Transformation of the mind, transformation of the life, transformation of the habits. To bring about change in the lives of people primarily through God's word. Our purpose as a church is not to make people religious or even moral. Our purpose is to equip people to live like Jesus Christ seven days a week, 24-7, and in every situation. And the primary power for this transformation is God's word. That's why Paul says to young pastor Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, he says, is God-breathed. It means that God breathed it out. 
and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for all good work. Notice it says scripture does at least four things, your life and my life. Every time we come to church, every time we open our Bible, at least one of these four things ought to be happening. First of all, it says it teaches us truth. It teaches us doctrine. R.C. Sproul says every Christian is to be a theologian. Doesn't mean you go to Regent College or university, but it means you need to know what God's word is saying and meaning. Secondly, it rebukes us. It tells us where we're on the wrong path. Thirdly, it corrects us. It realigns our lives and it brings us back again. And fourthly, it equips, equips, equips us for life. It speaks into every situation we face. That's what we're singing about this morning. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Remember the church is to be a healthy nursery. First Peter picks that idea up and he says, like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow into salvation. And the goal of God's word in each of our lives is that we would grow towards maturity. And maturity is not about how much we know. It's about how much we take of what we know and we turn and we put into practice. You do not grow in maturity because you decided to come to church this morning and to listen to a sermon. All you have so far is information. You start to grow in maturity when you take away from that passage what God wants to teach you. And you say to yourself on Monday and Tuesday, I'm going to start doing that. And you put that into action in your lives. I know as a church that Central has a long history of commitment to the scriptures. I respect that. And I look Sunday by Sunday to continue that. And so each and every Sunday, I am committed when I'm here to work hard for you. But I also ask you that you will be committed to listen hard and to learn. And to ask yourself every Sunday when you walk out of here, what, do, what is the one thing that I take away from God's word today? One key truth. And I will start to put it into practice. So I'll work hard for you. You need to work hard for that, that too. Is that a deal? About three people said yes. So <clears throat> I don't know. I need to move on. A healthy church is devoted to nurturing authentic, loving relationships. Someone once described the church like a bunch of porcupines on a cold night. You know, we kind of huddle together to get warm and then we find we jab and we poke each other. So we pull apart and then we get cold again. Paul Turnier, the Swiss psychologist, said there's two things you can't do alone. One is to be married the other one is to be a Christian because God has implanted in each one of us the desire for fellowship, for community. The Greek word is koinonia. But we don't create community. We don't say we want to have fellowship, so let's have coffee and potluck suppers and anything else. Our community does not come from each other. Rather, understand this. The gift of fellowship has already been created for us by what Jesus Christ has done for each of us. That was, that's what makes the church different from any other group, any other club, 
anything else you can belong to. That's the spiritual cornerstone. What Jesus Christ has done for each one of us at the cross, that is the gift of his fellowship to us. The work of the cross and the work of the spirit is what creates our community together. So we're called to love one another, to serve one another, to bear one another's burdens, to share with one another a need, to pray for one another, even at times with carefulness to admonish one another. To be honest, I think some people are afraid to go there again because they were hurt in past experience. Something that I continue to hold in my memory as a hurt. As a pastor for a long time for some people. I always see some folks come to the church gifted, excited, eager to get involved. And they start to do that. But you know what? Sometimes some gossip trips them up. Something happens to their enthusiasm. Some cold water as it were gets poured over them. And so they back off. They move to the back row. Maybe pretty soon they stop coming. And they just fall away. I think that's a tragedy. I think that's a tragedy. If you've been hurt in some way this morning, I'm sorry. I would only ask you that you go and you lay it down at the cross and step forward back into the warmth of fellowship because we love you and we need you. So how could we do that? Well, here's some very basic relational commitments that we must make to each other for the sake of fellowship. Let me give you just headings. You know, these things work in marriage. They work where you work. They work in relationships. And they work here at Central Baptist Church. Here's four things we got to say. Number one, I will address the problem rather than attack the person. Our society has taught us that it's okay to attack leaders, to attack politicians. And so we assume that it's okay to do that in church. Can I say to you this morning, no, it's not. You can't attack board members, pastors, or whatever. No, it's not. God has ruled that out of order. A while ago at a church, which many of you know me from, Langwick Park, we, we went into a little kind of spate where we were getting anonymous letters almost every week about a pastor or something, whatever. I was getting kind of tired of it. Um, uh, and so <laughs> one day I brought up one of the anonymous letters to read to the congregation. But I also brought a shredder from the church office. So I read part of the letter, and then I dropped the letter in the shredder. And the congregation clapped and cheered. They got the point. Because the scripture says that's not fair. I will tell you pastors don't do everything right. The board doesn't do everything right. And if you write us a letter, we will read that if you sign it. And we will address it. But let's address the problem. Let's not attack the person. Here's another one. We will speak directly to a person rather than gossip to others. In my pastoral experience, gossip can do more internal damage in churches than Satan does. Because we do his work for him when we gossip. 
Gossip has been defined as sharing information with someone who's not a part of the problem or part of the solution. Matthew 18 says, if you have an issue with, so with someone, you go and talk to them in private. That's our first responsibility. And we are not free to do anything else until we've done that. That includes email. That would end most church gossip right there. An authentic fellowship, we refuse to create what counselors call triangles. Here's another one. We will deal with things without delay rather than let them fester. A verse in Ephesians says to us, in your anger, don't sin. That's an interesting challenge. In your anger, don't sin. Don't delay. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, what you need to know in the Greek text is that the second word for anger is stronger than the first word for anger. It is a little thing called a prefix that goes in front of it, and that adds to its strength. It adds to its anger. It builds it up. It's saying to us that if we nurse our anger to the end of the day and to the end of the week or the end of the month, if we keep it and we store it up, if we hold on to it, it picks up speed and it grows and it expands. Every one of us knows that. So we say we won't do that. This is number four. We will, we will use words that build up rather than words that tear down. Ephesians 4. Don't let any unwholesome words come from your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. You know, the fabric of the body of Christ here is strong and it's delicate. It can be like hardened steel before the storms of life, especially if they come from outside, but it tears so easily like fragile lace. It'll be torn and damaged much more easily by those on the inside than those on the outside. And each one of us holds then a personal responsibility for the inner health and condition of this church. The way we think about each other, the way we talk about each other, either is building the church up or is tearing the church down. Not just when we're together, but also when you turn out the door in a few minutes and go home. Do you realize that moment by moment, we are either building into the health of Central Baptist Church or we're taking away from it. And there may be times when it's necessary to go to someone and say, I ask you to forgive me. To go into heal or hurt. We surrender our anger and we let something go. You know, the Bible does not say, just forget it. Just get over it. The Bible says, lay it down. And you know where. Foot of the cross. So how do we get to know each other when we're just together briefly on a Sunday morning? Let me give you a couple of just very simple ideas. I know next Sunday's Thanksgiving, you do a dinner for family, whatever. But let me give you a simple idea. In the next few Sundays, in fact, through this fall, what would happen if, when you prepare Sunday lunch, you said at least two more settings? Keep lunch real simple, soup and a bun on a Sunday morning. And then on a Sunday morning when you hear, watch for some students. Students will always come for food. Watch for young people and invite them home. Soup and a bun. 
Maybe you see a, a young family with a, a new baby and a toddler. And you know they're busy and stretched. Invite them home. Maybe you see a, a senior you, you, you see coming and going on Sunday mornings you, and you've never, never really talked to them. Invite them home. And maybe you say, well, we don't have a very fancy house. You're not there to show off your house. You're there to extend hospitality to people. And say, we've got some soup and a bun this morning. Would you like to come home? I know that some of you are on, on the church online, if, if you live in Victoria or nearby, as you're comfortable with what's happening with COVID and our world, all that stuff, I invite you to come on down on a Sunday morning and join us. But take some folks home. Invite them for soup and a bun on a Sunday morning. Maybe invite them for Thanksgiving dinner weeks. I don't know. I have a deal for things like that. Big dinners like Thanksgiving, I know there are a lot of work. Whoever prepares the food doesn't do the dishes. That's unfair. Whoever prepares the food doesn't do the dishes. Leave until tomorrow. To get to know each other over soup and abundant on a Sunday morning or whatever. Lastly, I can say so much more. A healthy church is devoted to engagement. That used to be called evangelism, but evangelism usually only means words. Engagement is action. It's where the church is incarnational. It's where the church makes itself visible. Last Sunday, um, Scott Curry talked about um, Monday morning breakfast at George Day School. That's engagement. God has called us to live not for ourselves, but to extend ourselves into a broken world of people who are children and youth and married, single, older people, people from other cultures and circumstances. The blue bus um, that you talked about this morning, you can go and see on the way out. Did you catch one of these phrases? Where's Rick? Over there. Did you catch one of these phrases? I wrote it down. It's building credibility with the community. Who are not going to come in here on a Sunday morning at 1030. But on a Thursday night or a Friday night or whenever. We'll go into a blue bus. Finally can play some games and play hockey or whatever it is. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the cost of discipleship. He was a Lutheran pastor who died in a concentration camp just to the end of the war. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, a community of Christ which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow Christ. So engagement is where we move out of the building. We move on to blue buses or all kinds of things. So I looked up your website a couple of weeks ago. Here's what it says. As we live out our faith in everyday life, we are actively involved in our neighborhood. The trust and relationship that we, we have built with our downtown partners allows us to collaborate and to serve in ways that meet real needs, enhance their opportunities, and share their hope. That's what your website says. And then you know what it does? It lists seven things that you can become involved in as an expression of what it calls community engagement out of Central Baptist Church. I call these things on-ramps. So the on-ramps that people need to get them into the truth of the gospel because they're not going to come here. So we need to build on-ramps out of the doors of this place and blue buses and all kinds of things. 
breakfast on a Monday morning at a school so that they can see the hands and the feet of Jesus at work through you. That's engagement. You see, church health comes before church growth. And I believe, I believe that when we will do these things in health and with the love of God, the church begins to grow. You begin to grow. And the church begins to grow. That's why it says in the book of Acts, and the Lord added to their number daily, daily, those who are being saved. Wouldn't it be exciting to have a church bulletin that published that on a Monday, here's the names of the people who are saved. On a Tuesday, here's the names of the people who were saved all down through the week. And it comes out of the life and the health and the vitality of a healthy church. We need to finish. I'm going to invite you to stand. The worship team will come up. Stand, please. I have pastored churches now for 54 years. Sometimes full time. Sometimes when I was an interim pastor, as I am here, didn't matter. But each fall, usually in September, October, as we began our new ministry near, I stood before the congregation as I do now. And I've made a commitment to them. And the commitment simply, folks, was this. I promise to bring you all that I am. Whatever gifts I have, strengths I have, even the weaknesses I have. I promise to bring you all that I am. I cannot do any more than that. But I promise you, I promise Central Baptist Church, I will not bring any less. Scott said a couple of Sundays ago about being all in. I am just one member. I'm just one part of the body here. I'm just one piece of this jigsaw puzzle here. And I promise to bring you all that I am. Let me ask you this morning. Will you do the same? Will you do the same for the sake and the health of this church that Jesus Christ loves. So Father, this morning, we bow before you and we bring to you all that we are for the sake of the body, for the health of the body, and we ask you humbly that you would grow the body. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Podcast.